0: we're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church podcast stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge thanks for tuning in
1: we are in our third week of our advent series and this series is meant to help us just connect both with the first advent of Christ and the second advent that we long for, and this week the topic is joy. And this sermon will be probably the hardest of all the sermons for me uh, because I feel like I understand this more academically than I do in the heart. I've got it figured out up here. I'm trying to figure out how to get it, how to live it out. And and so I, I might be preaching to myself more than you but uh, I hope that you will bear with me. Apostle Paul, I think, says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 1, I wish that you would put up with my foolishness, but I see that you already have. So that's kind of, uh, that's how we're going into today's sermon. How's that? Let me ask this question. Uh, who believes that they're going to get the gift the gift that they 're that they 're hoping for, and i don 't mean because you already bought it, like you bought it for yourself, who thinks they 're going to get the gift that they 're hoping for so we got some we got some head nods out there, um, you know as a kid, that was such an important part of Christmas for me, maybe the biggest part of Christmas, I and mean, I really enjoyed family, but I was. Super focused in on, on the gift, and I always wanted to be the kid that got the best gift. You know, like the kid in the neighborhood that, when they told you about their gift, everyone went really. And I, I had that happen a couple times. Um, one year uh, we got the cleco vision. Cleco vision was a major upgrade to the Atari. I mean, the Atari has what was it? Asteroids and Pac-Man. So those are classics. But ColecoVision wasn't two-dimensional. It was three-dimensional. And it was just the next level. It's like today's PS 14 or 15 or whatever it is anymore. 27. It's like like a horror flick that just keeps coming back. The number just keeps going up. But I was so excited to have that gift, and I was so proud to tell tell my friends um, there are a couple of times where I was honestly really um, disappointed disappointed in what I got One year, my brother and I found our Christmas gifts under my parents bed. We were dinking around in their bedroom, and we were climbing underneath their bed for for some reason. who knows what boys are doing that for. But we found a couple sleds. And my parents jokingly said, that'll come back to bite you. And it certainly did because it didn't snow that year. And then we moved to California. (laughs) So they were absolutely correct. But I think the worst gift I ever received was when I was 14 years old. I had asked for one of those race car tracks. You know, the kind that where you have to set it up and and you have to plug it in and you push the button and you test your ability to push the button next to the ability of your buddy next to you and his ability to push the button, right? Something that cool. That's what I wanted for Christmas. And what I got instead was this thing that depended on gravity. It was two little motorcycles that would race down this track. You'd hit this lever and they'd race down this track as it Wound down towards the bottom. I was 14 years old. And I was comparing my present to my brother's present, and and I don't remember what he got, but I remembered what I got. And honestly, comparison at Christmas time just seems to be something that I I I've always struggled with. Like I got a 48-inch TV, but if you get a 50-inch TV, man, somehow that bends me. And, and sometimes I just want to compare where you get to celebrate Christmas to where I get to celebrate Christmas. Uh, one year when we were in Moscow, Idaho, it seemed like three or four couples got to spend their Christmas in someplace tropical. For me to get even close to their experience, I had to walk over to our gas fireplace and hit the button. Turn that bad boy on so we could heat up. you know it's just it's like, man, why is their experience so much better than than my experience and And I feel like Christmas somehow invites us into that comparison game and 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 and, and leads to unhealthy expectations, unmet expectations, and then there's the whole comparison of what I have today versus what I had yesterday, like like I won't have my parents at Christmas this year. And it f- seems like when we've lost someone significant, we lost a significant relationship that the holidays just kind of highlights that in in ways that makes it hurt even more. And so when it comes to joy that comparison game and those unhealthy expectations those unmet expectations seem to be, seem to rob me of my joy but i think there's something more powerful that robs us of joy and it's called shame when I think about when I was 14 years old and, and that Christmas gift, I, I, I equate that time to my mom. And and here's why. When my mom was seven, I, I mentioned last week that my mom's dad had passed away. Actually, my mom's dad and her brother. So my uncle and grandfather that I have yet to meet this side of heaven, they were in a private airplane that my grandfather owned, and they crashed. My grandfather had a massive heart attack. He probably would have died anyway, but took took uh, my mom's oldest brother with him. My mom, my mom had lived uh, an affluent life up to that point. You know, when she's seven years old, she probably didn't even understand that at that point. But what she did understand was that every Christmas after that was a disappointment. Because they were poor. My mom used to tell stories of opening up a gift and opening up the box and pulling out a note out of that box and reading that note. And the note would say something like, do you remember the socks I bought you back in September? That was your Christmas gift. Merry Christmas. And my mom was so disappointed. And I didn't think about it when I was 14 years old. But the thing that my mom felt the most shame about was being poor, feeling poor. And she, I'm sure, was heartbroken my response to my Christmas gift. Unfortunately, there were several times where I disappointed my mom because of my response to the gift that she bought me. Shame. We see shame in this week's story. We kind of, we're doing this story a little bit out of order. You probably noticed that. I thought I'd just say it up front. (laughs) We started out in chapter two, and then we went to the back half of chapter one. Now we're going to go to the front half of chapter one. We'll get back to the chapter two next week. So don't worry, we'll we'll get this uh, train set straight yet. Yeah, but um, this story seems to fit with this idea this week the most. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the The vision of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now I want you to notice this, these two verses, 6 and 7, the fact that they were righteous before God and walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They were righteous and they were barren. The author connects these two thoughts. The author has to tell us that they're righteous because the assumption in that day is if you are barren, you have disappointed God and you're being judged. And that's a stigma that this cu- couple lived with. That's the shame that this couple lived with. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, and man, when you live with shame and you, and you get paid to do this full time, man, that's even, that's even harder. When you're a religious man, when you're the one helping other people connect to God, that is so challenging. He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Now, I believe that the fear that Zechariah is feeling is different than the fear that Mary felt. This is related to him being inside the temple. We will talk about that in footnotes. I think there is a a difference. It may be not much of a difference, but there's... There's a difference. He's told your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he'll he'll be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he'll go before him in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years." Zechariah knows his text. He knows the scriptures. He knows the stories. He knows that five times in Israel's history, someone significant came through the fact that their parents experienced barrenness for a season. Five times. This idea of barrenness comes from the shame that comes with barrenness in and, and and the disapproval that people believe that God is showing comes from passages like psalm one twenty seven says in the, that children are an inheritance of the Lord, and happy is the man that that is quivers full of them. And Psalm one twenty-eight says, "Thy children like olive plants around about thy table. Thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord." There is a stigma about barrenness. There is a stigma. This this label. And it's not just barrenness where we have this experience that's for a season, right? For years, Zechariah and his wife prayed that they'd be able to have children. For years, they prayed for that. And that was their experience for us for a long season. It was a long time painful season, but sometimes we, we turn our seasons, our experiences into labels, and with those labels comes shame. And so think in terms of someone who experienced barrenness, but also someone who is homeless for a season. And then you take on that label and the shame that goes with homelessness. What about jobless or poor? Or single, or divorced, or you experience a failure and you take on this label of being a failure and you experience the shame of failure. This is where the gospel enters into our experience. And, and notice that these all these desires that I'm talking about, like to have a child, to be productive, to have a home, to be to have affluence, to to being married, to not fail, like like all these are godly desires. All these are desires given to us by God, to excel. And yet when that's not our experience, we feel judged and we feel condemned. And I even think of these words spoken of Zechariah and his, and his wife. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. You can't say these words about me. I know my mistakes, I know my sins, I know my brokenness. Unmet expectations, our experiences that become labels that create shame. They will rob us of our joy if we let them. And honestly, this week, it's my struggle. I find myself a couple of weeks away from Christmas Allowing some labels that you probably haven't even thought of for me. Rob me of my joy. James says this, Consider all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. I I remember the first time I heard this. Preached on. Uh, I was going through a divorce because my first wife had left me after having she had multiple affairs, and she left me. And, and I, I sat two me chairs. I was right in the middle of the pew, and I have people on my right, people on my left. And I heard this sermon, and I did not want to hear this sermon. These were the first words out of the pastor's mouth, and. I thought he was speaking only to me. And yet, this has become one of my favorite passages. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. When we face challenges when we face those tough seasons that would look to label us and shame us, the enemy, the spiritual enemy, would absolutely look to destroy us. And God says, I have something different in mind. I want to build you up. I want to build endurance. Joy is this emotion that has this element of endurance to it. Happiness is based on what's happening right here, right now. Happiness is getting the best toy on the block. Happiness is having pumpkin pie with vanilla ice cream on top. That's happiness. Joy is about what's coming. It's recognizing that what's coming is greater than what's in front of us. When I go to the gym, I don't always enjoy that particular workout. I find it painful, I find it frustrating, I find it challenging. When I get told to do another 10 burpees, I'm like, are you kidding me? But I go to the gym for the joy of what the result will be. I go for the result that will be. The author of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race set, that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're told to lay down the things that would encumber us. That's the unmet expectations. That's the the labels that we've adopted, the labels that we have bought into for ourselves. It's a shame that would look to distract us from staying true to the course that we sense God calling us to. And we're called to run with endurance, like someone else we know, like someone that we are celebrating this Advent. He endured the first Advent that included the cross. And he despised the shame because he experienced shame too. He despised the shame for the joy of knowing that you and I will be able to experience him for eternity. That is worth celebrating. That is worth focusing on. That is worth pursuing. And if we're gonna live this Christian life, we have to do it by continuing to stare at Jesus, not only looking to his example so that we will live differently, because that's that's super important. We can't just live in our mess and go, well, sorry, it's a mess. There's still things I'm looking to change about myself. Even as a pastor. We have to fix our eyes on that second Advent. And that's why this season is so important. Because I don't know about you, but this world, this life, this 2020 is just... Flown by. Can you believe it's almost over? I'm glad it's almost over, but man, there's parts of it that I don't even remember. I remember March and then yesterday. And yesterday wasn't worth remembering. So it's just flown by. And so we have these seasons where we slow ourselves down purposefully to consider Christ, to set our focus again on him, to to find the ways that we've been distracted this year and reset our attention. And so the implication is this. Advent is a time of preparation and anticipation in the darkest days of the year for the arrival of the light of the world. It is a time to run with endurance the race set before you, finding your joy in the promise of salvation. Guys, I could get lost. I could get lost in my mistakes and my failures. In the way, I didn't handle several conversations yesterday very well with my family. I could get lost in that. I could get lost in what I have compared to what you have. I could get lost in the fact that there are certain things I used to have, like my parents at Christmas time, that I don't have in this season. Those things will look to distract me. And sometimes they're very effective. Distracting me, and like you today I'm trying to find my joy in the promise of salvation so some next steps the first one is to receive Christ, and if you if you've never done that before, if you've wrestled through that but haven't Just having completed that process is is really simple but profound. It's just a prayer that says, Jesus, I need you. I believe you are who you say you are. You're the son of God. You're the savior of the world. And I know that when you went to the cross, you were telling the world how much you love me. And I don't want to live life without you. And if that's your prayer today, I'd ask you to let us know about that because we need a journey further. That's just the very first few steps to take. If you're online, you could you could email us. You could hit that Connect card on that front page and let us know, and we'll, we'll journey with you. But we need to receive Christ first. His Advent... Coming into the world is a gift, a gift that we have to receive. But I'll tell you, today I still need to receive Christ. I think of the song by uh, Charlie Peacock, DC Talk, also did a cover called In a Light. And the words go like this What's going on inside of me? I despise my own behavior. This only serves to confirm my own suspicion that I am still a man in need of a Savior. And over and over and over again, when I've had to face the consequences of my poor actions, and when I've lived in seasons where I was experiencing failure, And even this week, I find myself going back to these words, going, I'm still in need of a Savior. If I had never met Christ before, I needed him yesterday. I need him today. I'll need him tomorrow. As much as he's changed me, I still need him. And so maybe that's your story. Maybe you need to reconnect with Christ. Receive him today. Secondly, take inventory of your your expectations, of the way you compare, of the shame that you felt, of the labels that you've taken on, you allowed you allowed other people to label you that way, or you've labeled yourself that way, even though no one's ever said the words, you think you see it in their eyes. What distracts you from fixing your eyes on Jesus? What gets in the way? What in your life pretends to be more powerful than the God of the universe who absolutely adores you? What distracts you from fixing your eyes on Jesus? Take inventory. Number three, be a source of joy to someone in need. Sometimes we need to be the person helps the person see beyond their current circumstances, this current season, and tell them that this season doesn't define you. Christ on the cross telling you that he loves you, that's what should define you. God, in the beginning, saying that you are created in his image, that you bear the image of the living God, that you are a unique design, created by him and for him. That should define you, but not your present circumstances. And we should be a source of joy to those who don't know Christ.
0: Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.